Nothing. There was nothing there to land on. If you landed there, if you survived it, they would have the helicopter you and the pieces of your glider out because there's no way. Yeah, if they find you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just grateful my wife will never listen to this podcast. This is Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast. Coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and bringing you great soaring content from glider pilots all over the globe. We now join Chuck and our guest pilot. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. So happy you're joining us today. This episode is going to be so much fun. Our guest host today, Clemens Chipek from Chess in the Air, is joining us from Colorado. Now he will be talking with Bruno Vassell and Dan Robel in Utah about their recent soaring safari they completed. You may have followed some of their journey on Facebook. Now their adventure included five states and approximately 1,800 miles with a ground crew and a refurbished glider winch from the 1960s. Now, they're going to take us through each leg of this journey, giving us all the details and share their experiences along the way from rope breaks to landing out in a farmer's field while cattle surrounded one of the gliders with a bull standing guard nearby. They tackled some of the highest mountains in the United States, flying over some of the most beautiful areas in the world. I hope you stick around after hearing their story because our friend Sergio, he's back, the soaring master, with another great segment. And this one is about final glides. All of that now on episode 123. All right. So um, welcome, everyone. Uh, we have uh, two very special guests today on the uh, Soaring the Sky podcast. And uh, you also have a guest host, uh, Clemens, uh, from Jess in the Air. I'm standing in for Chuck uh, Fulton, uh, your regular host. Uh, and I'm excited about the two guests that we have. Uh, we have uh, Bruno Vassel the fourth, that uh, I think uh, is very somebody who's very familiar to uh, the listeners on this podcast, uh, and also from Bruno's famous uh, YouTube videos. As you know, Bruno is uh, the most prolific uh, YouTube uh, YouTube producer out there in the soaring community. So welcome back, Bruno. Hi, Clemens. Great to be here. Uh, awesome. Uh, and then uh, together with Bruno, we have um, Dan Robel. Uh, and Dan, I understand, also flies uh, in Utah, but I'll let uh, Dan uh, introduce himself. And then we will get into why the two of them are together on this podcast. So, Dan, um, can you introduce yourself? I can. Uh, Dan, I'm Dan Robel. I've been flying in Utah for about 20 years now. I've had my Ventus for almost 15 years had a lot of fun with it and um, known Bruno for pretty much all of those 15 years at least, maybe even 20 years. Utah is a great place to fly and we wanted to go fly more in Utah and some of the surrounding states. So that's what this is about. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Oh, you have Aventus. That's uh, that's great. I fly Aventus too. So that's, uh, that's awesome. All right. So, so let's get straight into why we have both of you on this podcast. The two of you completed recently a very cool uh, soaring safari uh, that took you some very spectacular areas in, uh, I understand, I think in five states uh, in the Western US, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona. But before we get into the trip, um, you know, what for the listeners who don't know what that is, what is a soaring safari? Yeah, that's a great question. What is a soaring safari? We, we'd never done one before. So... Um... Let's just start at the at the beginning of this thing. Seven plus years ago, uh, our club, the Utah Soaring Association, was crazy enough to agree to let's uh, refurbish an old 1960s winch, glider winch, 
And uh, we then, over a period of about a year, uh, Dan and myself, we each have hundreds of hours in this process. We refurbish this glider winch. And what a glider winch is, is it allows you to launch a full-size glider into the air, thousands of feet up above the runway with a trailer-based giant engine that has a giant reel of thousands of feet of rope and it pulls it in really quickly and it launches us up so we don't have to follow behind an airplane. So Dan and I worked on this and during that process, kind of daydreaming, hey, it'd be fun if we were to take this on a safari someday. And uh, early this year, I contacted Dan and said, Dan, uh, hey, you want to go on a soaring safari for a couple of weeks? And Dan's so cool. He's just like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so it it was just the two of us with four ground crew and a couple of RVs. And we decided to do a a two week soaring safari. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, that is awesome. I mean, most people probably if they heard the term soaring safari, they thought, you know, people go and um, with their motor gliders, because I think that's the most convenient way to do it. Or, you know, some people take a tow plane and a tow pilot. But I'm not sure if anyone has ever done this with a winch. <laughs> so so yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm really excited to hear about how that how that all worked. So yeah, so let's just give a little bit more description. So really quickly, it, it was about an 1800 mile loop across these five states. And we'll talk about the the legs. But our goal here was we were going to launch from each location and then soar to the next and then launch from the next one with the winch. And so, you know, that, that was the goal and we accomplished it quite a bit. There, there were a couple of little snags and anomalies that we'll talk about, but uh, it was mainly, you know, soar from place to place and then have the ground crew meet up with us and do it again the next day. Right. So it was basically going from one place to the next place and then launch there the next day and try and uh, get to the next place and so forth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what kind of reception did you get with the winch when you when you turned up at these airports? I mean, I'm sure that some of these airport managers, they've probably never seen a winch before. <laughs> you know, they probably didn't even know what it was. What do you think, Dan? I think they were very receptive. They were very interested. We had everybody, every place we went, somebody came out to watch us launch. So it was, they were interested in it. We had no problems with uh, with any of the locations to, to let us launch with the glider. That is great. Did, 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 did people feel this was a, a disruption to them at all? Or uh, or did, how did they announce it to other pilots, to other traffic? I mean, did you guys, did you have to, to, to close the runway or uh, to set the winch up? Or how did, how did that work? So I'll let Dan answer part of that, but let me just say I did my homework beforehand. And even though we ended up landing at a couple of airports we were not planning on flying at, um, I had contacted all the airport managers way before, months in advance, and they told them, sent them videos, explained our process, and they were all excited for us to come. And uh, there were multiple airports that we never ended up visiting because we just flew past them uh, Uh to make up time. And uh, so just a real valid reception. And then one last thing with that is you said when we arrived, um, nobody saw us when we arrived, (laughs) Dan, right? Because because we were arriving between 10 o'clock at night and midnight, the caravan. Uh, Dan and I had landed hours before, but uh, nobody saw the caravan arrive to the airport because it was so late at night. (laughs) So... Wow. So who was who was doing the caravanning? I mean, who was your crew? That was mostly um, Bruno set up the whole crew. It was his sister, his nephew, his son, and his son's friend. 
Wow, wow. And so they were all they were all willing participants in this. That's, uh, that's awesome. I mean, you, you can't do this on your own. So how many how many you had you had two RVs, right? And then what else did you did you slug around? Go for it, Dan. We had um, Bruno had an RV and he towed one of the glider trailers. Uh, Bruno's truck towed um, the winch. My truck towed a fifth wheel camper and an SUV towed the other glider trailer. Wow. So you, you had both trailers with you in case of a land out. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're crazy, but we're not stupid. We're going to bring trailers just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you basically had, oh, but it, you could you could uh, have the trailers behind, one one was behind the RV and the other one was behind the winch. So you only had two? No, one was no. behind the SUV and one was behind the motorhome. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's quite a logistical undertaking. So uh, how long have you been planning this? I've been daydreaming about it for a um, couple of years, but I start, started getting serious last year when I decided not to host the 2022 Nephi event and because I wanted to do this instead. Yeah. Sorry, guys. You know, sorry we didn't have the event, but I needed to do the safari. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, let's talk about uh, the flying itself. So some some of these airports, um, uh, I think we'll get to that, but they were in, in, in the middle of wide valleys and in the morning, you can have morning inversions. So with, with the winds, you can only get so high up into the air, right? How, how high could you launch? And was that, was that ever a problem uh, launching out in the morning from with the winch and getting away? We launched when the, when we figured there was going to be some lift in the area. Logan was the only one we didn't winch out of. And Logan is notorious for having kind of weak lift in the morning and we had to get un- underway. So we took an arrow tow at Logan. Okay. And then how, how much how much of that route was actually planned? So, so we'll get into the, the route itself, but how much of that route was planned and how much was left to chance? I don't answer that, Bruno. <laughs> well, we planned it every day, but uh, every day didn't go as we, we as we planned. So, uh, all right. So, does uh, June the eighteenth is a Saturday, and our goal was to get started from Nephi and fly to Logan on that day. Okay. And uh, so we, we we get there, and the winds are blowing thirty plus knots, gusting over forty knots. So we couldn't start that day. The next day, uh, the winds were so still. So this was in Nephi, right? So this is in Nephi, Nephi, yeah. So we were all excited. We 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 get we get the whole crew there and can't fly. The winds are horrible. The next day, the winds are a little bit better, but uh, not good enough. So we didn't actually start on our adventure until Monday, and due to you know various circumstances, we launched pretty darn late. And, um, Dan and I barely made it to Morgan, which was not, <laughs> so our very first leg were, you know, on the third day instead of the first day. And we go, we go to the wrong airport because we started so late. Uh, we barely got there. Dan, you cleared the ridge to get to Morgan by, by how many feet? I don't know. 50 or hundred feet. Yep. Yep. Don't tell your oh, wife. Oh my goodness. Where, where is Morgan? I could have bailed off. I didn't have to go over the ridge. But I had enough altitude to get over the ridge. There was no there was no ridge lift working, which is thermals, and so there was no no um, turbulence on the other side of the ridge. So I wasn't worried about that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Our, our third day there was no wind, and so that is, was actually a problem. Is, is Morgan sort of is that between Nephi and and Logan? Yes. Or? Yeah. It's yes. south south of Logan, and south so of Logan. Okay. 
So here we are now at this uh, this airport, which we have lots of friends at, but we weren't planning on, on launching from there. And it has a relatively short runway of 4,000 feet. And our winch, we, you know, we try to take 6,000 foot, uh, you know, launches that can get us. And you asked this question, we were getting anywhere from, depending on the conditions, 11 to 1200 feet up to 1800 feet in elevation. And, you know, it's right above the runway and we now have to catch a thermal or come back down and land and try again. So, so your cable, the cable on the winch is 6,000 feet long. Correct. Wow. And so how, how, if you have a 6,000 foot runway, how high can you get? Well, we, we accomplished 1800 feet and most of the time we were not launching into a stiff wind at all. It seemed like it was more crosswind or tailwind. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, again, about 18, 15 to 1800 feet. Yeah. Well, that gives you at least a few minutes to, to look around <laughs> and see yeah. if you can, if you can connect. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, so did you, so from, you didn't launch from Morgan, you, did you move? No, no. Move? So we, we then did launch from Morgan and you did uh, launch from Morgan. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that was in and of itself a feat because uh, it was a, a, a very light wind day and not very much activity. And so we actually then were only able to get to Logan then on that fourth day. And here oh, we are okay, at the end okay. of four days and we're like, wait a second, we're supposed to get here on the first day. So we we started this trip way behind schedule. And right. And so how far is it from, from Nephi to Logan? It's only like what, uh, 200, 300K or so? Uh, it's, it's a little bit over 300 K a little over 300. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's basically, so a, you, you're, four, you're four, you're four days in and you basically had 300 K. <laughs> and, and, you know, Dan, I mean, Dan flies, uh, primarily out of Logan a lot. And so it's like, here we are, we made it to Dan's home field. It didn't feel like we had started our adventure yet. So yeah, let me, let me just preface though, something, the planning on this was not that we were going to be doing 500, 750,000 K flights. The goal was to get around the course. Sure. Safely. So, um, you know, these are, these are small legs, but what we then ended up finding out is to make up time. We ended up having to fly multiple legs in a, in a given day. Right. Yeah. And it also, I mean, you, you basically completely dependent on the weather conditions that you have. I mean, it's, this is not like, uh, you, you're going to pick your best, days of the year and you go fly for a big flight, you basically have to work with what you, what you got. So that's hard, <laughs> especially right. if you have to launch with a winch. But that's, that's the adventure. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, that sounds, sounds exciting. So, so when you, so the next day you went from, so the next day took you from Logan. Where did you go from Logan? Logan. <laughs> <laughs> you went from Logan to Logan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So how did, how did that go? What, 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 what happened? Didn't go, <laughs> Dan. It didn't. We just didn't have good enough conditions to, to get up on top of the ridge to be able to even make it to the next airport. Wow! So you launched from Logan and uh, you couldn't even connect. Uh, so you basically had to go come come back with a high arrow toe. We couldn't get up. Couldn't get out. Wow! Yeah. It was just very stable conditions. It wasn't a soaring day, but yeah. you know we, we were sure. trying. Yep. Sure. So we went mountain biking instead. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and you had your mountain bikes at home, right? So, so that wasn't, you didn't, or did you slug the mountain bikes around too? Run around with me. That's, ah, that's awesome. Multiple days with mountain bikes and hiking and other things that we couldn't do when, when we couldn't soar. Yeah, well, that's a great use of the time. Yeah, awesome. Okay, and then I think the next day was better, right? Yes, a little, a little bit. A little bit. Okay, so what happened? 
you want to give this one, Dan? No, go ahead. All right. So we finally take off and uh, the, the ridge is working. The sky is beautiful. And our minimum requirement was to get to at least Afton, Wyoming. And Afton's a beautiful place. It's right there on the uh, Salt River Range, which if you fly out of Logan, you, you fly up there and it's gorgeous. And I've got some fun video of it. And that then can take you all the way up to the Tetons and, and Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. So we thought we want to at least get to Afton. And it was a good enough day that we then continued on. Uh, Dan and I agreed in flight that, hey, we, we can make it to Pinedale. And so we told the crew, um, you know, we're trying for Afton, but uh, if you get a, a specific spot text message from me, that means that we're going to the next the next airport. Mm-hmm. So um, I was able to communicate both by phone and also by spot um, specific messages to um, my sister, who was the head of the ground crew. So she knew what our status was. Um, mm-hmm. You know, are we not able to make it and heading back to the airport? So the day that we weren't able to make it to Logan, uh, out of Logan, they were actually on the, on the road going to the next spot. I was able to contact oh, her. They were already on the way to Africa. Yeah, come back. We're losers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can't connect. So, so anyway, we, we, we got to, uh, to Pinedale and what a, just what a gorgeous area. It's right there on the Wind River Mountains. And um, we were greeted right there at the airport, which this is going to be an ongoing little you know, uh, thing for us. But uh, we were greeted by a, a new friend. So, Dan, you want to talk about that? Yeah, was, uh, Nathan uh, met us there. He's actually joined our club down here in Utah to come down here and fly gliders. But he has a, uh, uh, what is it, a Rans S7. He gave us rides in it. He he let us camp in his in his front yard with our whole caravan of, of vehicles. It it was great. We went hiking with him and his family, so it it was a fun adventure. Yeah, that yeah. is that is awesome. So so he he and he lives in Pinedale. He lives in Pinedale. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I th- I heard that Pinedale is is a fantastic soaring location. If you oh could. my goodness. Yeah. yeah, right on the Wind Rivers. I think the Wind River Range is is that isn't that kind of one of the most remote mountain ranges in the lower forty eight. It seems so. It seems so awfully far away from, from anything. It is spectacular, and uh, yeah, we've got plenty of video and 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 stuff to to share coming up um, about that. But just just gorgeous. By the way, the manager, just to show you how friendly everybody was, the manager of the FBO, he said, "Please spread the word, uh, Pinedale. We want." gliders to come. We used to have gliders here years and years ago. And, you know, we love you guys uh, come back and uh, big airport with very few jets coming in and out and, you know, uh, beautiful soaring uh, location. So yeah, anyway, plan sure. on going to Pinedale. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So and the soaring, the soaring from Logan to Pinedale, that was, that was a pretty good day. It was a fair day. It, it could have been better, but it, you know, it could have been worse too. You <laughs> judging by our, our previous flights, but yeah, we had it. We had a good flight. Yeah. Good. Not, not too stressful. Not a lot of landable, but not terribly stressful. Right. And then, but then the next day that, uh, that is over an area that I, I'm always afraid of just even looking at, um, looking at it on the map. Yeah. Stressful. <laughs> yeah. I to across the great basin. So I want to hear about that story because I was, flying up to basically to Rawlins and then west of Rawlins. I flew up to Wamsutter and and this is just terrifying terrain. So 
tell me more about that flight from Pinedale to the south. And uh, where did you want to go and where did you end up? Yeah. Hey, Dan, you want to go uh, fly over terrifying places for two weeks? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to make it to, to Rollins. Um, well, and- we were actually trying to make it to Saratoga. That's right. We were going to Saratoga first. Yeah. yeah. Right. Rollins was a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the weather that day was really, really fickle and it, it re- required a little bit of a later launch, which then made it difficult for us as we were trying to, to get to our end destination. And um, we could not make a straight shot across because uh, straight from Pinedale to Saratoga, uh, that whole middle section was just dead air and blue mm-hmm. predicted and Unfortunately for us, this is over. I mean, th- there's not even farm fields. So, I mean, there's you, nothing. There's absolutely oh, no, no, there's I 80. So, it's like, you know, you can land in front of the truckers, you know, uh, on the freeway. Yeah, but I mean, if you even have to get to I 80 first, it's quite a distance from Pinedale to I 80, isn't it? Oh, it was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. The other problem with the forecast is that the top of the lift was maybe 13 to 14,000 feet. Oh, and geez. that is not high there. No, and so, not you know, at all. Dan and I, you know, we're, this was day, I don't know, we should have kept track, day six. And I mean, we were feeling the pressure of, you know, we're way behind now. We're five days behind and we got to make it. And, you know, let's see if we can do it and try not to get on the news. And so we headed, uh, you know, due south. And there is are a couple of farming communities about 50 miles south of Pinedale. And one of their fields was going to be our bailout. And then even further south by about another 40 miles, there is, you know, a, a regional airport that has, you know, small commuter jet service out of that. And that was our only bailout. So we basically got to within visual, you know, distance of I-80. And then we started heading east as the day was dying. And I'll, I'll let you take it from there, Dan. We uh, kind of hopscotched ahead of each other back and forth. You know, somebody would find a lift and go up and then somebody else would find a lift and go up and, um, there, I think my low low point was, um, uh, I don't know, about ten thousand feet, which is you scary. Know, it's That's scary. scary low, yeah. I mean, what's the terrain there? Is is uh, around six thousand or so? Yeah, six, I think somewhere around there, six or seven thousand. Yeah, six or seven thousand. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we could see the, the traffic on the freeway down there, um, but there was there was lift, and we'd find it and climb back up and keep on going. But it is it is scary when you have nothing nothing good to land on below you. I mean, I flew there at 16,000 and I was com- uncomfortable being at 16,000 feet. So I can't imagine what it's like to be at 10,000 feet. That's, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, intimidating. The yeah. things you do when you have a goal, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you, you got to I-80 and from, from I-80, you, you tried to get to Saratoga. When did you decide you had to, to divert? When we couldn't climb anymore <laughs> and we had we had final glide made into rollins so we just headed in there it was kind of getting a little, kind of late in the day and windy and it was windy and windy it's always windy there wind had come from the west which was helping us but when it came into um, into rollins it was coming from the east and so we had a headwind coming in to land yeah that is that is unusual to have a, a easterly wind there. it's usually blowing hard out of the west mm-hmm. uh, 
but yeah, that's amazing. So because you had a headwind, I mean, basically because you were going east, that's why you had an easterly wind. <laughs> Normally, you would have had a tailwind. Always yeah. one more way. <laughs> and I mean, and Saratoga is not that far from Rollins, so we just barely didn't make our goal. And, yeah, uh, I know it's not that far. It's yeah. just uh, Saratoga is a is a I think is a nicer place. Spent our spent the night in a Walmart parking lot, which was the first and the last for us. We're like, we're not going to do that again. Um, and yeah. uh, what was funny is we were actually captive. We weren't even allowed. We couldn't even get out of the airport. the The gate was closed, and since we're not in a vehicle, we couldn't drive out of that. And we called the airport manager after hours, and he, he you know, can we go into the FBO? And he said, Well, I'd have to come out, and no, and. So we were basically stuck till our crew got there um, to let us out of the gate. It was wow. Rollins is an interesting place, you know, but you know, the next day the airport manager ended up being a lot nicer, but we had not planned on, on landing there. So he, um, you know, we were a surprise, so but, by surprise, yeah. but at the end he was watching us uh, launch and had a kick out of it. So it was <laughs> the next day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's get to the next day then. So, so you basically spent the night in the parking lot at the at the Walmart. Uh, that's where the breakfast was probably too. <laughs> Doesn't sound too exciting. So I'm sure you were excited to get out of Rollins. Yeah, and we um, so 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 we launch out of Rollins, and uh, let's see, we we had some rope breaks, didn't we, Dan? Um, you had a rope break. I did not have a rope break. Okay. Yeah. Dan's the stud. I'm, I'm the loser. So, I mean, during some of this time, we are starting to encounter some, some issues with the rope, which gets worse and worse progressively throughout this thing. Uh-huh. But, uh, so, you know, we launch and our goal is to, uh, is to Granby. Um, and this was a, uh, a monsoonal day, which uh, it showed that there were going to be thunderstorms and, and things um, over Granby. But we thought maybe we can just sneak in and just, you know, go through the side and, and you know, get lift, um, you know, and get in. And um, we at least got past Saratoga and that felt good. <laughs> and then um, as we were getting into the uh, Walden Valley, in front of us, um, it was really stormy in, over in Granby area, and it, in fact, it was uh, net, you know pretty nasty rain storm over the the Walden Airport when we first got into that valley. And uh, I'll let you continue, Dan. We'd um, headed for the um, snow-capped mountains that were south of, of Rollins, and um, Bruno took a, a little path a little bit east of where I was, and I got high enough lift that I could have made it into Granby. I had that had final glide made on that. But um, Bruno couldn't couldn't get back up into the lift band, and it was dying. So we just headed into Walden and, and landed there. And there was nobody there. It was absolutely empty airport. <laughs> yeah, and luckily I mean, it had stopped raining, so we, we it, were. It, it looks pretty. It looks like a really remote sort of western town. I have not seen it on the ground. I just know it from the air. It looks really nice, but uh, I don't. I don't know the. You know how was it in Walden? It's beautiful. Um, There's two two uh, hangars there, and um, couldn't see any single airplane. There may have been some in the hangars, but there was nobody there till the next morning. And then uh, three people flew in just to say hi to us, following us on Facebook. Oh, that is cool. So, so who was that? And uh, so they they came with their airplanes. Yes. Yeah. Who, where did they come from? Uh, do you remember all the people there? One of the guys was. We found the. Uh, uh, ID tag. Remember that? Yeah. 
And he, he was a, a government guy, but he had taught soaring 30 years ago. So he, he thought it was interesting to come in and, and see us. Oh, that is very nice. So this is really cool. So people would basically, they follow you on Facebook, they see your journey, they get in their airplane <laughs> yeah. and they, they say, you know, just to say hi, they come to a different airport and, you know, join you for breakfast or so. <laughs> yeah. So we, we had somebody come uh, from the front range, somebody come from Steamboat Springs and, and the other, and, and it was fantastic. It was, it was fun to feel that support. So yeah, that is, that is great. Uh, one of my friends here, Ron Gleason, he texted me when he found out that we had landed at uh, at Walden, and he said that back in I think the eighties, uh, we're not the first ones to winch out of Walden. They were winching um, hang gliders out of Walden Airport. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, you know, beautiful little area, but uh, that was our our spot for the night. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a great little uh, place, and um, you know, I know the area well, but. Uh, uh, and I was I was glad you guys didn't try to get into Granby that that night. It, the weather looked really awful. Yeah, it did. Wings and Wheels has been serving the soaring and sport aviation community for over thirty years. They hands down have the largest and most comprehensive inventory of sailplane and soaring supplies in North America, and they ship globally. Nearly everything you'll find on their site is in stock and ready for same day shipping. Wings and Wheels is the exclusive American representative for HPH sailplanes. Be sure to check out the Twin Shark, their latest launch. They're also now the exclusive distributor in North America for the new Just Soaring Glider Sim Pro. The team has thousands of hours of flying experience in gliders and airplanes, staffed by Adam, Kelly, Julie, and Sean. A friendly voice will answer when you call or email them. Check them out at wingsandwheels.com. Um, okay, so then next day uh, out of Walden. Walden is uh, Walden can be tricky to uh, in the mornings. It can be very inverted. Uh, I know sometimes you can't really fly there until like two or three p.m. Uh, in the afternoon. So uh, did that was was that your experience, or, or did it was it easier to get out of Walden? We launched a little earlier than that. I think it was twelve thirty or one when we launched. Was never enough. Yeah, so we were trying to launch as early as possible, but we knew it was going to start a little bit later. So. We picked the timing about right. Yeah, good. Because I, I was flying that day as you took off from Walton. I was on, I was maybe about 50 miles uh, east of you heading north. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason I was heading north is because uh, I was looking to the south and uh, <laughs> there was these huge clouds uh, that were building up um, uh, over the Gore Range and then uh, over in the, in the area around Aspen. Uh, and then towards uh, Salida. So, and and I, I knew that's where you guys were heading. So I I was like, hopefully everything is going well. So tell me about the next day because that day I just seemed to be another another super exciting adventure. <laughs> the way I the way I I would imagine it. Yeah. So again, a, a shout out again to Steve and to Bill, you know, the, the our two fr friends who came and visited us from Steamboat and from the Front Range. So we launch, and this was, um, you know, if if you were to look at the path and the distance that we did, I guess this is one of our more impressive legs. And the goal was we're trying to get to uh, to Creed. Um, so we were trying to bypass a couple of steps. We were uh, initially planning on, you know, going to Granby and then from Granby to Salida, um, and then so from Salida to Creed, and we're like, hey, we're just going to go straight from 
Walden to, to, to Creed. And um, we looked at the weather and it seemed like it was possible, but it was going to be tricky because of overdevelopment. And um, th- let me just stop by, by saying with all sincerity, Utah are the foothills of the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> you guys <laughs> have big mountains. <laughs> we know? have big mountains. And this, yeah. this, 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 oh this my goodness. By the biggest mountains, some of the biggest mountains, actually the biggest mountains. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. You were flying over the Sawatch Range, and that's where Mount Albert is. Mount Albert is the second highest peak in the in the lower 48, uh, just just a little lower than Mount Whitney, just by a few feet. Unbelievable. So you guys have big mountains and not big farms. There, there's like not farm fields in between all the valleys like we're used to in Utah. It was intimidating. It is, yeah, it is. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, you didn't pick the best weather. I know that the, the cloud bases weren't super high either. That day. we didn't pick the weather, but we—I mean—we're on a safari. We got to keep going because the, the 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 future weather forecast was we could be stuck and and done. And that's what actually in every single leg we were looking at it, and it seemed like we just lucked out of barely getting good enough weather for the next day to keep moving. And uh, it just seemed like one lucky coincidence weather-wise after another. Wouldn't you say, Dan? Yeah, if we'd gotten stuck in several different places, we would have been there for three or four days before the weather turned around to let us get out again. And yeah. we probably so, would have so, had so, mutiny so, so, with so the crew. Talk a little bit more about that flight because, I, you know, you went from Walden, then you basically flew south. You crossed the, uh, the, the, the mountain range to the south. That's called the Bears Ears Range. And you get to Kremlin. You have the Kremlin Airport. Yes. And then so, you have a big step between Kremlin and Leadville. So, so before Kremlin, there was this big blue hole that we had to fly through. And so to the west of Kremlin on the foothills, we saw some, some clouds. And and so, you know, we were high enough. We said, Hey, let's just fly through this dead air uh, to go west of Kremlin. And and then we got over those foothills, uh, those clouds weren't working very well. And so it took a little bit of a struggle to get up. And then once we got high enough, we just kept heading south. And ignorance is bliss. We probably didn't know how big and scary the areas that we were flying over, but I mean, there is. It's this is this is probably one of the most intimidating stretches in Colorado. Uh, I don't like to fly over that area unless I can get, you know, to about seventeen thousand feet. Then I feel comfortable <laughs> that I can keep airports in glide. But if I can't be at seventeen thousand feet, I can't keep an airport in glide. And yeah. there really aren't any places where you can land. I mean, there's no. there's there's kind of the, the there's a, there's the Dillon Reservoir in the worst case, right? You ditch to glide in the lake, uh, and then there is uh, you know south of Dillon there's the Breckenridge Golf Club. I think it would be super. A super exciting feature of the Breckenridge Golf Club, but it's the fairways are not suited for landing really. <laughs> so it, this is this is a pretty pretty tough area to fly over. And cloud base that day was fifteen five, and we're you know so we're flying this, and we just had to keep reminding ourselves, hey, we're doing this for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Wow! Wow! But it was exciting. We made it. It was lift because there was a lot of development uh, uh did you get any thunderstorms or anything no not there well, we had west some- of salida yeah well, we, we didn't fly through any thunderstorm areas other than uh, coming into page okay yeah so so okay so you were but you made it to creed and creed isn't easy to get to either i mean it's in the la garita mountains just uh, east of the san juans and uh it's a it's a another pretty intimidating area 
And a couple of things that was interesting is that there were we we passed through three or four different weather systems, and you would suddenly have um, clouds two to three thousand feet lower than the other clouds that you're in. Right. And and I mean, just all of a sudden, it's just the clouds. Just I mean, just a, a line, a wall of just lower clouds. Yeah, that and you happens would, a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. It, but we didn't know if those lower clouds would even have lift, and luckily they did. <laughs> uh, but um, the other challenge is with Creed is from the north of Creed, you've got a fourteen thousander. So we had to get be high enough for final glide to get over the fourteen thousand foot peak to get into the Creed Valley. Right. So I mean, we basically had to stay high. And, and soar all the way till we were almost on top of Creed. Yeah, uh, yeah, you absolutely have to. I mean, there's uh, the only airport to the north is, is Gunnison, and that gets pretty far away if you're only at those altitudes. That was our only out. Yeah, so we kept Gunnison as Yeah, as I mean, our, there are some life. farm fields there, but uh, they're really... Uh, they, I don't think so anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't no, see there them. are some, you know, but <laughs> very few <laughs> you have to know where they are otherwise you won't find them <laughs> uh, yeah it's this is it's a it's a yeah another very intimidating area that was creed well dan tell him what the atmospheric conditions were like when we got to creed, yeah, creed i mean it was disneyland but we flew past creed about 15 miles because our, our crew was four hours behind us i think is what it was because it went almost the whole length of colorado and so they were going to be really late. So we decided to fly south just to play around. We were still planning on landing at Creed. But about 15, 20 miles south of Creed, there was a wall of clouds that went from the ground up to 30,000 feet. It wasn't a thunderstorm. It was just a wall of white clouds. White, puffy beautifulness. Yeah. Wow. Don't know what was causing it, but it was it was beautiful. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there is, usually there's overdevelopment over the San Juans that starts early and then it gets some clouds get really high and then they drift over the San Luis Valley. You didn't have to go that way, but there's often very high buildup there. But it wasn't thunderstormy. That's interesting. No. So we, we landed Creed and uh, immediately a guy from the RV community that was staying in Creed for the summer comes up and he was, of course, our ride into town and um, we had great pizza there and they, they showed us around the mines and we enjoyed Crete and Crete's a kind of a cool little tourist destination where people like to, uh, like to go. So um, something about Creed that both Dan and I noticed from the air, it looked like a Brown uninteresting. It's like, why would anybody want to be there? But mm -hmm. uh, tell them what it's like on the ground. It's beautiful. When from the, from 14,000 feet or 15,000, we came across the ridge it looks like this little tiny valley, but when you actually land in there, it's a huge valley. It's it's a wide valley, yeah. It's, wide. It's, it's beautiful from the ground. River running through there, and it, it was it was beautiful. That's why that's why it's popular for the uh, tourists. All right, so we we you know we we spend the night in Creed, and luckily Creed had a uh, little FBO house hut log cabin actually that we could then stay inside, uh, waiting for the crew and out of the you know way of the bugs, and then the. Creed was by far the most difficult place to launch out of. Before we took into that, yeah. tell them about the tire and the rock on the winch. Oh, yeah. My son, bless his heart. Um, so uh, part of this whole thing of making it is that your ground crew, you know, they all make it and they all don't um, have problems or accidents or things like this. So about 20 miles out of Creed, this is now... We're talking 11 o'clock at night, 1030 at night. 
um, you know, we have a caravan of four vehicles coming up the the canyon and it's twisty, windy roads. And uh, my son was uh, driving my Ford 150, pulling the, the winch too close behind the next vehicle. And all of a sudden they're all swerving because there's rocks in the road. And oh my, my son swerves and the winch trailer tire um, hits the rock and it explodes. And luckily my son was able to stay on the road and, you know, didn't go off the road or roll and go into the river or anything. And so we now have a, a winch that has a, a, a no tire and, you know, just a destroyed rim. Luckily, and thank goodness for the, the, Utah soaring uh, members that decided to ch- do this, we did have a spare winch tire. Um, and so we were able to the next morning uh, go back to the side of the road and, and, uh, and get it fixed, which by the way, you know, Dan kind of uh, headed that up and we actually changed another tire for one of the vehicles that day. So, you know, two flat tires in the day, but we were very lucky that, uh, you know, he didn't go off the road and, you know, uh, roll. So well, that, was, wow. that was a late night. Yeah, it was a late night. So, but you, you so the, you left the trailer at the road until the next morning, or you? Yeah, yeah it was. You, we pulled it off in a white spot of the road, so it was out of the traffic. Uh huh. Okay, and then you went back the next day to fix it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so that was another late launch then out of Creed. Well, we yeah. Launches. <laughs> launches. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask how many how many launches on average did it take to get away with the winch? Normally one per person, but Creed was the exception. Okay. So, so four launches. Yeah. So Creed is close to 9,000 foot elevation. And, yeah. you know, with density altitude, um, even though it's kind of cool, it's not sea level cool. It's, it was actually. No, no, you're talking 11,000 feet. Yes. Density altitude. So we were, we were dealing with 11,000 feet density altitude, no wind except for um, like thermals that would blow through. And we kept having the bad um, luck of there being a little bit of even a tailwind. And it was really sketchy. Uh, Dan, do you want to describe some of your launches? We could not get the, – the winch has a certain speed range. It's – I don't know what it is. It's locked in third gear. Yeah, Locked in third gear. And so even when you're revved up as high as it'll go, it will only go pull so fast. But at that density altitude, that was barely above our stall speed on the gliders. And so we could not get going fast enough to rotate to into the climb portion of the of the flight unless we had a little bit of headwind. And so we, we swapped ends of the runway twice, I think it is, trying to catch – trying to get the prevailing winds and finally gave up and just – went with which direct waited for a thermal to come the correct direction to launch into the wind to be able to get out of there. But each of us took four launches before we finally got up. Wow. So, um, I, it was my turn to, to try to launch. Um, and so I, I finally did get up on the fourth one and then because of having to switch, uh, location stuff, I mean, Dan was a, a couple of hours behind me. And what was miraculous about this is that again, the weather forecast was that, um, we were supposed to launch between 11 and noon and afternoon it was just going to overdevelop and we're trying to get through unlandable stuff between Creed and Blanding, Utah. And that is actually the most scary of all, of all. Oh mountains. yeah. These are the Santa Juan mountains. These are the, this is the widest mountain oh, range there is Colorado. Yeah. This, these are there's not super, even dirt roads. I mean, there's nothing. It's super 
super intimidating. Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, there are some dirt roads in some valleys, but if you get into that valley, you cannot land anywhere. Yeah. There's, there's absolutely, there's no place to land. And again, we had um, weather forecasts of bases, cloud bases in the, do you remember, Dan? Was it like 15,000? Something like that. But there was, was low no bases. And uh, it's supposed to overdevelop and then, you know, get all shady. And we're trying to get through this. So anyway, the point I wanted to make is that, you know, Dan's last launch was, I think, did you, was it starting to rain on the ground when you launched or just barely right after? Just five minutes after I launched, I said it just poured rain. And and he actually climbed in kind of the rain right before it shut down. So and the next three days were predicted to just be you know monsoonal and, and not even flyable. And that would have had we not been able to have Dan get up that last flight, we wouldn't have had enough time to do it again, and we would have just trailered home because it would have been impossible. So and then you know we fly and uh, you'll see this in videos and stuff but again you've got these multi-layered clouds of you know mountain obscuration clouds all the way down into the mountains and valleys and it, what was funny is thank goodness we were naive i had tell telluride as a bailout I didn't understand that Telluride is on the western edge of these mountains. Exactly. There was no really way is. we would ever have gotten to Telluride because of all the mountain peaks. But my, no way. I had a 30 to 1 glide ratio on my computer. Yeah, that <laughs> so doesn't ignorance, do anything. Ignorance is bliss. So once we finally got to the western edge, you know, more towards, uh, what is it? Uh, we had Telluride to the north. And what was our airport to the south? Well, Durang- Durango is in the south. Um, yeah. And then you have Monticello, but that's further out already. So you have basically, as you get out from Crete, first you have Stevens in the south, but that is more behind you already. And then you have uh, Durango. It's the only other Durango and Animas is the it's another airport also in Durango. Yeah. Animas. Yeah. So um, and then we then have you know we're trying to get to Blanding. And uh, I, I got a little bit ahead of Dan, and it seemed like it was really easy. And by the way, this whole time we had, you know, where you you know slit your slit your uh, your palms and you do the blood brother oath of, hey, if you go down, I'm going to go down with you in the field. And uh, that time I'm like, hey, we're doing great, <laughs> see ya. And so I just went and landed landing. And then uh, what was what was your experience? An hour and a half later, I mean, the was great for him, and it kept on dying right in front of me. And I was trying to get this weak lift. I'm taking half knot, one knot, two knot thermals, trying to get up to get across that ground. But there were landable fields there. It wasn't like coming across the mountains. So I wasn't as nervous there. Yeah. Cortez was the was the airport to the south. I was, we were Cortez, yeah. Okay. But that's also pretty – You basically, when you get to Cortez, you, you have the – big stuff behind you oh yeah the big stuff was all before oh yeah, yeah. so it was easy for me to get to blanding and, and dan he uh he, you know he I struggled he had he had some fun so so what was what was kind of i mean looking back on this is that there were certain legs where dan struggled and there were certain legs that i struggled for example again i mean we couldn't get to Granby because i i went out in the valley and i couldn't find any lift anymore but you know ultimately it all played out just fine so anyway, got to Blanding and we met a new, new friend in, in, in Blanding who has a motor glider there and he's, he's a retired gentleman and he's passionate about soaring and we, we had fun then flying with him on, on the next day. So, and the, the FBO and everybody were, were fantastic and Blanding was a, 
an anticipated airport. So they were excited and waiting for us. In fact, the whole town came out to watch us winch launch the next day. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. Yeah. So you want to tell them about the next day, Dan? The next day we were, we were heading for Colorado city in Arizona, but we get again, got late launch. Uh, I think we, was that the one we both took two launches? Well, we kept having rope breaks. So you had a rope break on that one. That's right. You had the rope break. So I got a multiple. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a rope break. I can't remember if I had two launches on that. I don't remember now. Um, um, I think you did. I think, yeah, you did um, just because you just couldn't find the thermal and then on your second one. But I, unfortunately, um, I didn't, I, I wasn't able to get away until my fourth launch because I had three rope breaks. So where did the rope break? Is this a rope or is it a cable and where did it break? It's a rope, 6,000 pounds strength, and it was breaking at uh, at our splices. But at the beginning of the splice where it seems like there's some sort of wear damage or shock damage, we're, we're still trying to figure out what was causing that because the splices stayed good. So it's not like the splices were coming undone. But, Interesting. Um, you know, so so basically, we're still trying to figure it out, but we were starting to now have you know rope breaks, and mm-hmm. that's then making it very difficult. It doesn't take that long to fix the rope break, um, but you then have to reposition everything, pull everything out again, and so it uh, it's very disruptive. But yeah, but dude, all those, but from a flying standpoint, these rope breaks went all were all benign. I mean, what happens? What 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 altitude would the rope break, and then did you just land straight forward, straight ahead, or all the above? It depended on the altitude. Um, okay. So, but you know, we we did not, we didn't crash and die, and we didn't damage our gliders on these. Um, you know, we've been trained, and with winching, you're trained on rope breaks, and sure, we uh, I remember we handled I them my, well. My, yeah, I, when I did my. My only rope break I ever had in my soaring career was on my second second solo winch launch. Wow! <laughs> yeah. At at about uh, hundred feet. Okay. Yep, that's <laughs> legit. About the worst, the worst <laughs> possible. Put the nose down and land straight ahead. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So we finally get up, and we're trying to get to Colorado City, and we're thinking um, the weather that day was predicted to be good, except for near. Uh, the south end of, of Lake Powell, which is Page, Arizona. And there's supposed to be a big blow up there. But, you know, if we could get out fast enough, we could get past it and easily get to Colorado City. I mean, th- again, this is like a 320K flight, not a big deal, but a lot but of the un- terrain is unlandable. Intimidating. Yeah. yeah. So, I, mean, so- I know the Lake Powell. So for, for anyone who's listening, I mean, for the, for the people who are, especially the people around the world, I mean, uh, who haven't been to Lake Powell. I mean, that's what's 2,000 miles of shoreline and it's surrounded by slot canyons. It's kind of the Grand Canyon little upstream and a little little lower, but these canyons are like, they're like crevasses on a glacier. So if you if you fall into one of those crevasses or, or slot canyons, nobody will ever find you. Yeah. Again. And because of those, you don't have dirt roads all over the place because you just have all these finger canyons. And so... It was from Blanding to Page was, you know, take a look on a map. There is a lot of unlandable scariness. And uh, Dan, I'll let you talk about this one. <laughs> Since I launched first, I started heading out first to try to find the lift. And so there was a cloud street going to the to the west before it started heading south. So I took that one because it went towards uh, uh, Cal Black Airport, the strip out there on the on the plateau. 
And uh, so I headed out that way. And Bruno took off a little later because of the rope breaks. And he took the southern route. And that was actually the better route because my cloud street ended just about the time I need to cross the unlandable stuff. And so I took a bunch of, of very weak lift to finally get up high enough to clump, to fly over 30 miles of unlandable stuff to get to Navajo Mountain where um, Bruno had already made. And there was a, was it a dirt strip over there? I, I never saw the strip. Yeah, a, a, a dirt strip, but, um, you know, bushes on the side of it. And again, we have 50 foot wide wings, so not optimal to, to go land there. But there was- yeah, there's a lot of these dirt strips that are just too narrow for gliders. They they're built for. It's a good place to go crash. Yeah, for backcountry, <laughs> for backcountry. Uh, uh, Navajo Mountain was still in the sun though, and so we headed there, and we got up to about fourteen, fifteen thousand, I think is what it was, up there before we headed the page. But we immediately went underneath the overdevelopment, and for forty miles of absolutely nothing to land on, we just had nothing. To- nothing there was nothing there to land on if you landed there if you survived it they would have to helicopter you and the pieces of your glider out because there's no way to yeah if they find you yeah <laughs> i'm just grateful my wife will never listen to this podcast <laughs> so we we can keep talking about this she's, she's never gonna hear this <laughs> and then we're coming, coming into um into page and they had pretty much the operations had shut down the page because the thunderstorms come in and had a lot of of turbulence and, and strong winds blowing there, whatever. And Bruno gets it was up. black, <laughs> black. And so nobody was flying there. And Bruno calls in that, you know, two gliders fly, come in to, to page. So the guys came out to watch these two idiots come flying in out of the thunderstorm into the land at page. <laughs> and I mean, there were strong winds, you know, flying into it. It was, you know, gusting well over 30 as, as we were coming into land. Now, our computers said we had plenty of altitude to get there, but it was still unnerving to be able to fly through 40 miles of, of no lift across. Yeah, if you have storms, I mean, you can't count on your computer at all. I mean, you, if you get 10 knots of sync, I mean, forget what the computer says, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, to me, that was the most intimidating part of the, of the flight, of, of the, the entire safari. I mean, I saw this little video that Bruno put together on Facebook where you just see you guys flying over over Lake Powell and mm-hmm. all the storm clouds around. It looks looks amazing. <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful, but beautiful and intimidating. But Paige was a real frustrating disappointment, even in the air, because in my mind, I thought there's no way they're going to let us winch launch out of this airport. There's airline service. There's tons of private jets. There's no way they're going to let us do this. So this is a one-way trip to maybe the end of our of our expedition, and so it was really frustrating to land there. I was grateful that we were safe and okay out of the storm, but um, you know now we have to deal with we are in a you know a pretty large a pretty big airport, major yeah. airport. Um, so is it is it a class D airport or was is is it? Uh, there's no tower there. There's no tower. Okay, it's not towered. Okay. So we, the the guys that came out to see us, they worked for the FBO, and uh, I did a video with, uh, with uh, I think his name was uh, Alan. Tim Allen. Um, yeah, his, his, his name was either Tim or Alan because I met two different guys. That one was named Tim, the other Alan. So, um, and uh, became you know became friends with him and talked to him, and he 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 picks up his phone and he calls uh, the airport manager. And he said, hey, he describes what's going on. He's like, hey, will you allow these guys to winch launch out of here tomorrow? 
And the guy asked him a couple questions and he looked at me and he says, yeah, I think that they're okay guys. And he said, yes. <laughs> and I could not believe it. It's like, we are actually going to winch launch out of page airport. And, um, Dan, why don't you tell them about the how that worked that morning? Because, I mean, we had picked a window and it didn't work out and it ended up working out perfect for us. So Yeah, we were, there was an airliner that was scheduled to come in at noon and leave at 12.45. And they were supposed to uh, overdevelop later later in that day. But as it got, So we were going to try to launch in that 45-minute um, area there. But it looked like it was going to hold off for a while. So we decided to wait till after the 12.45 uh, departure for the airliner. And while we were waiting, there were six or seven other jets that decided to take off at the same time. In those 45 minutes, we would have been so in their way. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't have worked. Uh, they just kept on taking off and off and off, and everybody left. And then once we started launching, there was nobody else on the airport. There was nobody came in or, or, or launched. No rope breaks, and we both were able to get off on the first launch. Um, Dan, yours, your, yours was kind of exciting. Tell them about your launch. I had a hard time get, getting up. I It was one of my lower... Uh, saves. Of course, I was right at the end of the runway. Um, and so I, I thought it was only about 300 feet off the ground, but I looked at my, uh, at my IGC file and I was about five or 600 feet when I finally caught the thermal and, and went up from there. It was a little, little scary there, but we, we finally got up and we headed, we were, we were headed for Nephi. We didn't get that far. Well, no, we were, we were still headed for Colorado city. We were going to Colorado city. I thought we were going to Nephi. No, 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 no. We were, we were going to Colorado city on the, on that one. And that was the day that uh, we both decided to uh, to land out. So okay, so so we're we're going and it's just going uh, really well. So the you know the cloud bases are fairly high. It's pretty stormy, but you know working in between the different uh, thunderstorm clouds and things. And just to the east of Kanab, uh, there's this wall or this line of really dark flat bottom strong, I mean, clouds that go up to 45,000 feet. So giant thunder, um, thunder cells, but they don't have, uh, we didn't see any lightning and there's very little rain. And so we go through that and the lift was unbelievable. You know, I, I encountered over 3000 feet, a minute lift underneath it. And on the other side of it was then dead air for 40 miles. So yeah. it had eaten it up everything. All the, they suck all the air in, yeah. And we both tried to get through that air, and we both landed out in farm fields um, north of Kanab. And so that was our, our only land out. Uh, did you know that area? Did you know it was like Oh, no. In fact, where I landed, I was the only farm field within 20 miles in any direction. Okay. But you knew there were farm fields or you were just going, you know, hopefully there is something. Well, there. as I was high enough, I mean, I was looking ahead and I yeah. saw the one farm field and I'm like, okay. okay, I can go into this area. And that's the one I landed in, in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. We, we say that a lot, middle of nowhere, but this whole, this whole trip was middle of nowhere. Well, there's a lot of nowhere in, in that whole area. Yeah. <laughs> so Dan landed out, I landed out and we both got retrieved successfully we ended up staying at a very close friend's RV park that he owns in Kanab overnight. And then we launched out of Kanab uh, the next day. And again, we were dealing with um, some rope break problems. Um, and so all about your experience of trying to get cell coverage after you land. Yeah, exactly. Isn't there a story about, there uh, is. you know, you, you, you let you, you land, you land in the middle of nowhere, but there's a cell phone, uh, there's a, there's a phone. Okay. So, you know, we have spot devices, <laughs> satellite. And so I, you know, I activate it. So that way my crew knows how to come get me. 
but I, I wanted to let them know I was okay. And there was no cell coverage and the farm field, the farm, the farmer wasn't there, even though there were tons of cows and, and goats and stuff. And I never even met anybody, the farmer, they never met him. So I started walking, uh, you know, to, to high ground to see if I can get cell coverage. And I walk a couple of miles and in the middle of nowhere on this dirt road, um, I did a small video on this, um, and I'll share it again, but there's all of a sudden this, uh, solar powered emergency telephone booth basically. And I, I pick it up and nine one one, how can I help you? I'm like, um, I'm a pilot that just landed out. I'm okay. I just want a you to glider, relay, you know, in a glider. I just want you to relay to a crew. I'm like, do you even know uh, like where I am? And they're like, no, you're just calling us. So, Long story short, uh, once we got picked up, you know, we had to drive 30 miles of back roads and there was not another one of those emergency phone things just in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah, um, that's, uh, yeah. That's fascinating. And then as I get back, the cows are all grouped around my glider and I'm running. No, I, you know, <laughs> pictures of them munching on my glider. So I think we're going to have a, a soaring, an SSA magazine center spread of the cows all licking my glider. I, my, my canopy was all licked on and stuff. And luckily they didn't start chomping down, but I had to scare them off. And there was a bull, well, there was a bull, yeah. but you know, I was submissive. And but the French call it Ovash, right? If you land out, they basically say you go to the cows and that's basically what you did. Yep. So it went to the cows. Went and to the cows. Now Dan, Dan's a better pilot. So, you know, he goes and lands in a beautiful alfalfa field and it was rough. <laughs> yeah so we we both landed out next day we we, we launch out of canab we were, we're struggling uh, and with the canab one uh, we're just trying to now get back to nephi and this is the last day the 14th day and you know if we don't make it we're gonna just trailer home our ground crew needs to go back to life and stuff and so dan takes off pretty darn early um you know, he has a rope break on his first launch, but it's high enough that he is able to get away and we get to pick up the pieces um, of the rope over the FBO and over the fuel farm and over the, uh, you know, so anyway, we, we, we have to, we've got thousands of feet of rope everywhere that we have to uh, wrangle up and we, we get it all spliced. And then I kept having rope breaks. Um, our rope was really struggling at that point. And so Dan, um, you, you probably took off at around two, two thirty. would you say? Um, somewhere. I think it was closer to one thirty. Okay. And, um, you know, we we're struggling. And so I get on the radio and say, Dan, just go, you know, we want you to make it. And, and unbeknownst to me, he, he's smart enough to know, to backtrack, to go close his loop from the, the day before from landing out. So that way we don't have, um, you oh, know, you have a complete track, we, yeah. we want a complete circle. Right. Sure, and so sure. anyway, I didn't, with all my rope breaks and problems, I did not launch until four thirty. And this is a, um, we have a 200 mile, it's, it's 200 miles from Kanab to, to Nephi. To Nephi. So at yeah, 430 yeah. in the afternoon, I'm heading, I headed 30 miles east in the wrong direction. So I can close my, my circle. And, and then I, I headed home and uh, my last hour, by the way, this entire time we're both flying dry. So no, no ballast, but my last, sure, last hour, figure, figure, uh, find, yeah. Yeah. Last hour, my computer said that I was averaging, um, 123 miles an hour. And so I just, I just wanted to get home. <laughs> so wow. it was, it, so you, you did it. So you, you made it home. We made it home. We, in fact, Dan was a gentleman and he waited, 
he waited for me in the air, and so that way we could both go in and land together. Ah, oh, that is amazing! I didn't even know you made the last. You could you made the last lake too. That's awesome. Uh, that is fantastic. Yes, yeah, so we both we both did it by the hair of our chinny chin chin, and uh, and on the last on the last day that that you had available, that we could, yeah. So yeah. we we had we had planned that this hopefully would be a ten or eleven day trip, and it turned into a fourteen day day trip, and. Uh, but we, we accomplished the, the circle that we were wanting to. Um, yeah, that is fantastic. So it's been, what, is it a, a week or two weeks that you're back? Two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. So what, what, what sort of, what's the most memorable piece? I mean, we just talked about all of this, but I think there are a lot of memorable pieces in there. Um, I, I think the, the fear factor over Lake Powell was, was my most memorable. I do not want to repeat that. <laughs> it's... It's a little scary to go fly over that kind of terrain. It, it, yeah. Well, worst case in that case, in that scenario, worst case you got a ditch in the water, and yeah. you know, there's the water is warm and there's sandy shores everywhere. So. <laughs> there's cliffs and a lot of people that can take you, get, they can help you get out. Yeah. Our longtime sponsor of the show, the Soaring Academy, is engaged in nonprofit outreach work with local area veterans and also with young people for the STEM programs at their top-notch glider port facility just outside of Los Angeles, nestled near the north side of the San Gabriel Mountains. They also have a fantastic flight school and are continuing to turn out great glider pilots every month. If you like to donate to their nonprofit initiatives or learn more about their flight school, Go to soaringacademy.org or check them out on Instagram at Soaring Academy. Um, my my most, uh, the flying was amazing and we had fun every single day, but the people that we were with, the ground crew and Dan, um, that's what made it for me. Um, ground crew was incredible. I just can't go. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and advice to anybody who wants to try something like this, make sure you go with people that you like because you're going to be, you know, living with them and dealing with problems together, you know, for a big thing like this. But um, just to show everybody, you know, Dan would never tell anybody this, but just to show everybody what kind of a stud Dan really is. Um, he spent the last four years refinishing his glider. He finished days, not weeks, days before this. And he had two pattern toes before we started this. Wow. So Dan just came back from a hiatus of not flying for four years to, to fly this with me. I mean, that, that, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. That is, that is really amazing. Uh, because that, that seems like, uh, yeah, I mean, the way you describe it, I mean, I <laughs> I would have chickened out on that trip <laughs> several times. Yeah, yeah it, it, was, yeah. it was pretty amazing. So if I were the interviewer, can I just ask one question to ourselves? Sure, go ahead. Because, you know, this is kind of a setup. So, Dan, would you, uh, would you ever do this again? I don't think so. And I, why? Just because of the, the fear factor involved with it. If we had great weather, it, it would be a fun trip to go around there but we struggled a lot of the places and when you're when you're pushing to get ahead to get to the next place knowing that the weather's going to turn around it's just not it's not something i want to do again yeah minus the fear on a scale of one to ten what was the fun factor um the scenery was incredible i mean the lake powell stuff the the grand the uh the uh, Rocky Mountains, um, even going across the desert from uh, Pinedale down to Rollins was, was incredible. To be able to fly in places that I've never flown before is, is fun. I enjoyed doing that. 
I would yeah. just, I just like to have a few more thousand feet. <laughs> My answer is as well. No, um, I'm not interested in doing this again. And the reason why is I had fun every single day. And, um, you know, luckily I was a little bit, uh, you know, more current in the cockpit. So there was a little bit less fear, but I attribute, I give this a one in 10 chance that we could have made it with all of the problems that we had with weather and equipment and logistics. The fact that we made it at all is a minor miracle and yeah. to try doing this again and, you know, only getting 70% of the way around the course or something would be so frustrating. It's the fact that we made it and we had so much fun. Um, I'm good. So, uh, both of us had a great time and we satisfied this and it's amazing that we made it. And so we're just, we're just grateful. Is that, is that fair to say, Dan? Once in a lifetime adventure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, I, before we did this, I thought, oh, maybe I'll take, you know, six or 12 people around next year and do this thing. Impossible to get around the course. Yeah. If you, if you have a group, I mean, even if we had three people, I don't think we would have gotten around. No, there's several times that, you know, we just barely got out as it was. You had a third person have to get them out and they, they couldn't have done it. Yeah. I mean, I think you were a little unlucky with the weather. Uh, you to were. Be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really were. I mean, there's that it's unusual to have cloud bases at 15,000 feet when they normally are between 18 and 22. Uh, we'll and have to trust what, you on that. Yeah, no, really. I mean, they, they really are very often much higher, but, of course, you you had the disadvantage of having to basically fly every single day, and and um, you know my my assessment is maybe a little different because I get to pick the days that I fly, right? And so I, I probably don't fly the days that you, <laughs> yeah, I don't fly the days that you fly over the highest mountains and the most scary terrain and the. <laughs> so I I totally I totally understand your your answer, but, Dan. I think it's uh, but again, it's, uh, what a wonderful, amazing fun experience that I'm, you know, we're both so glad that we did. I mean, yeah, very, very glad. I'm glad we made it. <laughs> yeah. But it was I mean, if fun. anyone else wants to do a soaring safari, looking back at your experience, I mean, what advice would you give them? I mean, were you overly ambitious in the planning or was it just about right? Or would you suggest maybe the winch isn't the right vehicle or, you know, what, what, what advice would you give anybody else who, who might plan such a thing? A motor glider would be very useful for a trip like this. There wouldn't be the fear factor involved with that. Yeah, if you can rely on your motor, and uh, you usually can't. I, I would <laughs> say we planned about as well as we could, and I guess the advice is know that the odds are against you of, of succeeding. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of defeatist, but um, it was it was amazing we made it, and I'm really glad we did. We wouldn't be, if we wouldn't have made that last leg, I wouldn't be doing this interview with you. It's like, yeah, we almost made it. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, then let me ask one other question. So uh, is of all the places that you visited, you visited a lot of interesting places. Are there places that you would go back to for, for like a, for a soaring camp? Oh yeah. Damn. Yeah. Where, where would you go? I, I wouldn't mind doing Pinedale. That was fun. I'd like to fly the wind rivers again. I, I've flown them before, but I'd like to do it again. Uh, we didn't. We were talked about going up to uh, Grand Teton on on that leg that we went over from Logan, but the conditions weren't wouldn't allow us to get up there that day, so we didn't go there. A really cool soaring camp. So, so instead of a safari where we go to ten different airports, um, I would totally with a winch. By the way, 
I would totally go to a place for a week. So where would I, where would I love to go? Um, imagine three days in Afton, Wyoming, cause they're really friendly there and they'd love to have us. And, that, and then four days in Pinedale, that would be a really cool, uh, you know, with a group of six gliders that, that could be mm-hmm. really fun. And mm-hmm. Colorado, I want to go back. It's just so scary. <laughs> I really enjoyed Granby. It just, the winch did not work as well as we'd hoped. You mean Creed or? Creed, I mean, not Granby, in Creed. I, I really enjoyed that. It was a beautiful place and uh, the valley was nice. The people were nice. Um, the flying was great. It just, go with the tow plane? Go with the tow plane or, you know, put the thing in overdrive instead of third gear. I don't know. Make it go faster. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, we would both love to have you. I mean, we would all love to have you in Colorado, for, of course, uh, um, whenever you want to come back. And uh, but I, I think it's super, it's super cool to go to these places that you know. I, we, I just know from the air. I've never been on the ground, and uh, uh, I'm sure that a lot of a lot of very very cool places. Yeah, love it. Um, just want to make sure that we do get out. Thank you one more time to the Utah Soaring Association. Uh, the board and everybody has been so encouraging and, uh, and, and and helpful to make this happen. So, you know, Dan and I, we were, we were using a borrowed winch from the club. And so thank sure. you again for allowing us to take it. And we promise we'll fix the, the broken wheel and <laughs> we'll fix all the, the broken rope. Yeah, well, great. Well, many thanks to both of you for, you know, sharing a really epic adventure. And I'm sure this is going to be super interesting to listeners all over the world. So uh, super cool story. Uh, This is one of the coolest areas to fly in, in the world, Uh, the the Western US. And to do it in a way where you can go from place to place to place to place and have a different scenery and a different launch point each morning and uh, work with the weather that you dealt with. And the weather can be very fickle as you experienced. And especially uh, with each of these, these mountain ranges are so tall, they tend to separate the, you know, the EMSs and you have different, different conditions every single day. So uh, super epic adventure. Thank you so much for sharing the story. Clemens, thank you for uh, being the guest host and uh, please be aware. Lots of video is coming. It's just going to be weeks and months of editing, but uh, it'll be fun to share the videos of, of this trip. Wait. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who, who are super excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much uh, again for, for joining this podcast and uh, you know, I hope, I hope we get, to hear more exciting stories from you. Thank you, Dan, for being an amazing flying partner. You too. Um, and, and thank your family for being an amazing crew. Okay. Thank you. Bye everybody. Hi everyone. Sergio from Surrey Master here. Today we're going to talk about the last part of a soaring flight, which can greatly affect task performance. The final glide. Final glides start when we have accumulated enough height to make it back home with a single glide. The use of navigation computers to help you determine this exact point is super welcome, but still they can only give you performance estimates based on past data. It's up for the pilot to determine whether the final glide is achievable or not. Final glides can be divided in three different types depending on the energy involved. High energy final glides are those performed in the sailplane's yellow arch and limited by the sailplane's maximum speed. 
Optimum energy final glides are those performed within the sailplane's green arch, up to the speed to fly of 2 knots or 1 meter per second. Final glides performed below this reference, up to the sailplane's maximum glide ratio speed, are considered low energy final glides and must be carefully monitored by the pilot during the glide. High energy final glides can only be executed in calm atmosphere without turbulence or gusts. Otherwise, the pilot will expose himself to structural damage with critical consequences. On the other hand, low energy final glides expose the sailplane to controlled flight into terrain collisions. During the glide, with each meter or foot you go downwards, your gliding range to any altered field reduces. This is very serious because your final glide target is generally a known field uh, or a certified field, uh, so there's no need to assess it. If you just enter in a safe traffic pattern starting 300 meters or 1,000 feet above it, you will be okay. But this doesn't work with outlanding fields because since they are unprepared fields, we need to check the field for uh, ditches, fences, holes, or any other feature that might increase the risk of outlanding. The height needed to properly inspect the field is of no less than 300 meters or 1,000 feet. And this height does not allow for any field change in case the field proves to be unsuitable for landing. You will be literally committed to the field you choose to alternate to in a final glide. You only have one chance and that's it. As you get lower in the glide, your gliding range to reach any field with 300 meters or 1000 feet is much reduced and if not properly managed, you may find yourself below final glide and without any height at all to reach any other field on the way. You will basically have to land on whatever terrain you can find ahead. There are two things we can do to avoid getting to this trap. The first is to actively scan for alternatives alongside your gliding path during the final glide. Remember, you have only one alternative to buy, so keep scanning all alternatives along the route. The second thing we can do is to set a decision height to evaluate whether the final glide is still achievable or not. I use a 500 meter or 1,600 feet mark as decision height. At this height, I assess my MacRead Zero arrival height towards my destination, which will basically be my arrival height with my sailplane flying at its maximum LRD. If by this decision height, my arrival height becomes marginal, I'm aborting the final glide and heading to the nearest outlying field that I have selected during the final glide. I'll spend these extra 600 feet or 200 meters to reach the field so that I can arrive above it with 1000 feet or 300 meters for me to perform field inspections and a safe traffic pattern. Mastering the final glide is essential, so always have a plan, scan alternative outlanding fields and have a decision height. 
know what to do beforehand. That's it, guys. I wish you all safe final glides. For more tips, follow me on Instagram at StoryMaster and stay tuned for the next class of the StoryMaster course. Would you like more information about it? Check my website, StoryMaster.com. See you in the next one, guys. If you would like to say hi and let us know where you are enjoying the podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you are a glider pilot and want to share your aviation journey, contact us at chuck at soaringthesky.com or send us a message on our website at soaringthesky.com and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next time for another soaring adventure here on Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast. Soaring the Sky is written and produced by Chuck Fulton, co-producer Mitch Thompson. Original music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton. Voiceover work was done by Michelle Perez.